Make your plans now to join us for the G3 National Conference, September 30th through October 2nd, as we'll gather for Christian fellowship and the worship of God through song and the preached word. Our theme for the 2021 conference will be centered on biblical Christology. You can find registration details at g3men.org. Get 15% off by mentioning code G3BAR. That's G3BAR. Welcome to the Lead in Truth podcast, also known as the Lit Podcast. Do you know biblical truth? Do you know how to take God's Word and apply it to your life as a family when facing the world and the cultural onslaught of lies? Listen now as Brad and Brooke lead you in the truth of God's Word. Well, thank you for joining us here on the Lit Podcast, also known as the Lead in Truth Podcast here on the Bar Network. We are so glad that you're listening. Uh, I am Brad Bartz. And I'm Brooke Bartz. And we want to welcome you to this episode. Just a a few quick announcements before we get started on the podcast today. I'm going to hand over to Brooke to cover a couple of those, and I'll finish this off before we get to the message. Well, this is especially for the ladies. Um, This is the second annual Open Hearts in a Closed World Women's Online Conference for 2021. And the dates are July 12th through 16th. Like I said, it's online. It's free. And you'll be able to stream it on the Open Hearts in a Closed World Facebook. My um, personal IG, the Open Hearts IG, which is Open Hearts in a Closed World. And um, this conference is just to gather women teachers, reform women teachers, so that women across the world can hear the Word of God taught. So... Um, it's really exciting to bring all these really solid teachers together, and I want to give a shout-out to American Gospel TV. Um, in further episodes, I'll be dropping names of who are going to be the teachers, but right now we just want to be a, give a great big shout-out to American Gospel TV, who will be streaming this year's conference. Praise God. And on the topic of Open Hearts, um, Open Hearts and a Closed World YouTube channel will also, you will also have access to the conference as well as our lit podcasts and a number of resources. These include last year's Open Hearts conference and podcast, so go subscribe there. Excellent. And also want to let you know about our car talks. Uh, many of you are, have already commented about those. Uh, these are just quick five to 15 minute uh, topics from the culture that we cover, uh, something that you can listen to on the ride to the grocery store on the way home from work, dropping off the kids or picking up the kids from work, or excuse me, from school. And it's just a good time for you guys to listen to the message. And then also there'll be some questions at the end of it, some thought-provoking questions to hopefully lead into a discussion around some biblical themes. Uh, our next Car Talk title is The Spud is Now a Dud. Rest in peace, Mr. Potato Head. Uh, Yeah, rip Mr. Potato (laughs) Head. Uh, The desensitization towards gender equality through Mm. the Equality Act. So do uh, hope that you can make that and uh, plan on using that not only for yourself, but also in your family to to spur on some discussions. Yeah. Just a continued prayer request. I want to ask you that you would continue to pray for James Coates, uh, pastor of Grace Life Church in Alberta, Canada. You continue to pray for James, for his congregation, for his wife Erin and the two boys, that uh, the Lord would continue to to work out his purposes, both in James's life and Grace's life mm-hmm. and in his family's life, and that uh, above all, that, that Christ would be honored in that, and that James and his family in Grace's life continue to remain faithful mm-hmm. amidst the, the persecution that they are facing there. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, we're going to be talking about a lot of topics on this podcast. If there is a topic or an issue specifically, uh, that you would like us to cover, 
you can shoot a message over to Brooke at her IG at, at just Brooke Bartz. And uh, we'll hopefully be able to cover those as we continue on here with the podcast. Yeah, and we just want to say thank you again to, for all the love and support and prayers. Um, people have been praying for us and just the encouragement that I received through messages, through IG and email. So thank you guys so much for your continued support of the Lit Podcast. And if you're not subscribed, go follow on e- any major podcast platform and subscribe and start following so you can find out when we drop new episodes. Excellent. Well, or quick, let's get into our episode today, and, and to do so, let's recap a little bit uh, on where we began the series on what we call the whole holiness of God. And last time we discussed that God's holiness, in, in simple terms, is who God is, that God is set apart, He is unlike anyone or anything that He has created, and the reverence and worship that is due Him must be commensurate with His holiness. And we began looking at a passage of Scripture where we can see God's holiness on display in a powerful way. And that was in Exodus 19, and we began our passage at the foot of Mount Sinai. And in chapter 19, we saw really three points, uh, the first of which we saw that God is set apart, and like God, His people are to be set apart in verses 5 through 6. So like Israel, um, His people must be set apart from the other nations and worship and obey the Holy One, the Lord, alone. The second point that we saw was that in verse 10, God's holiness requires man to be clean to approach God, yet God remains infinitely set apart from man. And when God appeared at Sinai, in order for his people to approach him, he commanded the people to consecrate themselves and to wash their clothes. Israel was stained with the idolatry of, of Egypt and also, no doubt, from coming into the new land. And this consecration was not just a ceremonial one. But it was a picture of the washing themselves clean from the idolatry that they had pursued. In addition, the picture of washing their clothes was a picture of repentance, forsaking the other idols of the nations and turning genuinely to, to Yahweh. And yet, while they were commanded to do so to approach God, God's holiness demanded separation from the people in God. And this was seen as the border was dug around Mount Sinai so that the people wouldn't come close to God to test him. And then also, lastly, the third part that we saw last week was the holiness of God displayed in verses 16 through 19. And God shows up at Mount Sinai in that passage, and there is no mistake in who he is. His power is genuinely manifest. We see thunder, we see lightning, we see thick clouds of smoke, fire from heaven, which was actually the Shekinah glory of God manifest to the people. We see loud trumpet sounds, more than likely the sound of angels trumpeting the glory of God. We see the mountain of Mount Sinai quake violently, and we see God answer Moses with thunder. Uh, This is all, by all accounts, an awesome display of God's holiness. And as in a response, the people are terrified, seen trembling before this holy God. So today we're going to look at part two of the passage. And we've entitled today's message, The Whole Holiness of God, A Proper Fear, and an Impossible response, a proper fear, and an impossible response. As we look at the, the passage today, a theme that you will see throughout the passage is that when man is confronted with God's holiness, apart from the grace of God to open up his eyes to who he is and to his sin, men will reject that knowledge, forsake the true knowledge of God, and he will attempt to replace God with an image of his own liking. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and we're going to see three points that illustrate this truth. Thanks, Brooke. Yeah. And the first one today is, is that even when man is confronted with God's holiness, his sinful nature seeks to create an idol to replace the true and holy God. So as we get started, it's important to remember that whenever we read or we study Scripture, context is always king when it comes not only to accuracy of interpreting Scripture, but also in adding to the fullness of the passage that we're studying to see its true meaning. And in chapter 19, it's incredible foundation for the events that will occur in chapter 20. So remember, God has commanded the people to consecrate themselves. He has shown up in this awesome way. The people are terrified, and a border has been drawn around Mount Sinai to keep the people at a distance. So rounding out these last verses of chapter 19, this is what it says. So, and Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set boundaries around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Thanks, Brooke. So God had allowed the people to see his holiness at a distance. And this was enough so that they would behold his glory, that they would see their own sin, and that they would bow in reverence before him. But he had forbidden them from coming too close. And yet we see this desire from the people that they want to break through these boundaries that God himself has set around himself to protect them from his own holiness mm -hmm. and their own sinfulness. The question is why? What is the principle that we see played out in these final verses of chapter 19? It's this, that even when confronted with God's holiness, man's sinful tendency is to try and break through the boundaries that God has set forth mm -hmm. in his self-revelation and then to distort and replace the knowledge of the true and holy God with an idol of his own making. Yeah. And if you think about this kind of act, it's it's really bizarre the nature of man's sinfulness that upon God viewing God's powerful display of his holiness at Sinai, that he wants to somehow break through this protection against God's holiness to keep him from uh, from really truly knowing God as he is. He wants to go from gazing at God from a distance and, and recognizing his sinfulness to trying to break through these restraints that he might see him in a way that he can fashion an idol of mm. him. And so the question is why? And this is because he wants to move from worshiping God as he has prescribed to making God into an idol, something that is more approachable, something that is more palatable than the revelation that he has made himself known through that man must approach him as. And as I think about this passage, I think there's a principle for us here as parents as we raise our children. Our children's tendency, just as the Israelites was, is to form God into an image of their own imagination. And this is especially dangerous when we're training our children. We don't want them to, to, to fill, we don't want to fill their minds with unbiblical ideas mm -hmm. and, and mistruths about who God is. My fear sometimes is that parents indoctrinate their children with God-like colloquial sayings that sound good but are very plainly unscriptural mm. and heretical. And it may seem harmless, but they are building an image of God that is inaccurate and candidly can be very damning. And at times, parents feel as though they need to somehow rescue God from his own character and say, I don't know, I know what God says, but, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So, Brooke, what are some ways that, that parents can be guilty of this or tend to or, or fall into this? Well, I think we can, we can dumb down Scripture. We only want to talk about the attributes of God that are easy to hear, that are easy on our children's ears. And this is dangerous because we're not telling them the whole truth of who God is. We are leaving out the full character of the majesty of who He truly is, and we're not explaining His justice and His wrath and, and the beauty of the gospel that we that we tend to leave out. So um, another way is we think we can lead them to Christ in our own ways, with our own emotion-filled words, and that leaves out the gospel. We want life to be easy, and when they sin, we can ignore it because we are afraid they will not love us. Maybe they won't come to faith if we discipline them. And it's clear that Scripture teaches the opposite. When we teach God's Word, it's this is the God of the Bible. Um, a God who calls us to train our children and train them up in His ways, not our own. So we can't make things easy on their sin. We can't ignore it, and we can't wish them and want them to salvation or repentance. We have to follow God's mandate um, through His commands. We make Him into a God that wants to see our children as happy, not holy. A God that wants their very every whim and dream and desire to come true, instead of walking them through the truth of Scripture that He promises, that they will be hated if they love Him. We need to remember that, that we can't avoid pain. We need to talk about persecution. We need to talk to our children of when they walk through a trial in the midst of it, that even if it costs them their friendships at school or in peer groups or or things that are costly to them, that he is worthy and he's worth it. And that in this day and age, we have to stand for truth, especially in this culture, in this time period. And then the last one I want to talk about is that we rely on our own works and not prayer, not the scriptures, and not using the scriptures to point them to the cross. We must lay out parents' scriptural foundation if God chooses to save them. We don't pick and choose his attributes that we think will make the most difference in their lives. He's not our favorite flavor jelly bean. Every one of his attributes set him apart and make him holy. And he calls us to be set apart and live holy lives. So we trust him. We trust him with our children's souls. No, that's really good, Brooke. And that's the fear, right? That mm -hmm. uh, we pick and choose just like we would at a candy store as yep. to what jelly beans we like and we don't like. And you know, look, I mean, parents, look, your job in parenting is not to make God more palatable for your children. Right. Um, but, but rather it's to train them and to set them on a course to meet face to face with a holy God and to see the power of the gospel in dealing with their sin and judgment in the finished work of Christ. Yeah. God never makes excuses for his character and for his holiness. Amen. And as believers, we shouldn't either. Right. We should teach our children faithfully from the scriptures who God is and the fullness of his being. And then you let God confront them with his holiness mm. and the gospel. And in this context, this, this foundation that we see here in these final verses of chapter 19 really form this foundation that beginning now in, in chapter 20, verse 1, the Lord then gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. So the stage has been set. The, the people have been consecrated. The border protecting the people from God himself has been drawn. The preacher, who is God himself, has taken his pulpit at Mount Sinai. He has validated his message through his holy appearing. Lightning, thunder, angelic trumpet blasts, mountain quaking, 
the Shekinah glory of God seen in the fire engulfing his pulpit. And it is on the pulpit of Sinai that he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And at the heart of these commandments, we see God's holiness, his set-apartness. So the second point we want to cover today in the message is, is that it's God's holiness that demands exclusive worship and provides and promises retribution to those who fail to do so. So the verse reads, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven, above or on the earth beneath. For in the water under the earth, you shall not worship them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, inflicting the punishment of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing favor to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Great, Brooke. <clears throat> well, the preface of the Ten Commandments is, is crucial because in it we see the only true lawgiver. Uh, he's not fickle. He's mm. not sinful. He's not idolatrous. He's a holy God. He's one that is set apart. He alone is God. He alone has the power to deliver and he alone has the power to free. Mm. He is the self-existent, the transcendent one. He alone has the right to command, and he alone is the one who is worthy of obedience. And in it, he communicates the pinnacle commands, the ones that all the other commands flow from. These commands have at its core the very name and holiness of God. This is the most dangerous and yet prevalent command man disobeys. Wow. The glory due such an, a God is in no way to be marginalized by our own sinful longings for a substitute. Mm -hmm. This command is not given as an option for man, as if Yahweh were one of the petty false gods of the nations, but rather as the only true God, set apart, alone, worthy of worship. Man will go to unexplainable lengths to suppress this command, making a God of anything and everything he can to take the place of the true God. This is man's sinful tendency to reject the true God and to replace him with something man-made. Brooke, what are some ways that man seeks to create man-made idols to replace God? Mm. Well, I mean, money, power, the, um, the new promotion from work. And, you know, I even say programs uh, at church, um, being in programs and ministries and serving and still not having truly bowed the knee to Christ. That's an idol that works. Um, the idol, idol of outward appearance, um, which gives off the false and misleading representation of an inward heart of beauty and godliness. Mm. You can be well-behaved. Um, you can mm. have, be a Stepford-looking trophy wife and whose beauty is a direct reflection on the state of a husband's pride. The house with the white picket fence, the new car, the desire for more and more, this consumes people um, so that they're seen as successful, all the while ignoring sin in their life, and that's destroying the family. Mm. Thinking that this brings God pleasure, that you are living the American dream. I think we see this yeah. every day with people we know and don't know. Mm. Um, and people use their education, mm -hmm. become philosophical instead yeah. of scriptural. Right. You know, I don't care, and I know Brad doesn't, if someone is the most articulate person, has the biggest vocabulary, is the most sourced academia in the field areas of philosophy, theology, etc. That is just head knowledge without Christ the Lord. 
and it's all vanity. It's dust, gone, and it's chasing after the wind. And, and Solomon understood this. Nothing, listeners, takes the place of the Lord Jesus Christ and him being a holy God. That's right. You know, I think Matthew Henry said it, Brooke, just to kind of uh, piggyback on that. He said that pride makes a God of self, covetous makes a God of money, sensuality makes a God of the belly, mm. whatever is esteemed or loved, feared or served, delighted in or depended on more than God, that whatever it is, we do in effect make a God of it. Yeah. And God's holiness calls for an allegiance to him and to him alone. And for those who forsake him, who attempt to make him over into a God of their own fancy, he states that he will deal out retribution, not only to them, but to all the generations who continue on in their rebellion. That's really scary. It is. So God gives us Moses then the, the remaining commands. And then in verse 18, after he's giving him the commands, in verse 18, he says this. And all the people were watching and hearing the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it all, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Yeah. So understand that the people have beheld the holiness of God. They have heard God's message preached to them in the commandments. They have seen his glory manifest. And again, now again, they are terrified. Yeah. And in fact, so terrified that they plead with Moses for him to speak to them so as to silence God's voice so they don't perish. In basic terms, what they're asking for his, here is, is a mediator. Mm. One who could stand between them and this holy God. But it's in the midst of their terror that, that Moses provides a response to their fear and a request. In verse 20, it says, However, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you will not sin. So what is Moses saying, Brad? I mean, who wouldn't be terrified with what they saw and heard of God, and yet Moses commands them to not be afraid? How is this possible? Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. And, and to, to understand it, we have to understand what Moses is talking about when he talks about fear and what he's not talking about when he's talking about fear. Moses here commands the, the people, the Israelites, not to fear. The fear that Moses commands them to forsake is a, a man-centered fear, uh, a temporary fear, uh, and, quote, in-the-moment fear that only has the person's well-being at stake, not the name of any other person. Hmm. This type of fear begs for relief only for a time, and then when the danger's passed, it's forgotten, has no ongoing effect on the person, and the person returns to their previous course of sinful life. In other words, it is a superficial fear that does not produce lasting spiritual results. But instead of this man-made fear, Moses says that the Israelites have seen the holiness of God, and this was to accomplish three things. Number one, to test them. God put his holiness on display to see where their hearts lie, and to bring out their sin and their guilt before him. It was to drive them to the Lord. They were to keep their duty, their obedience, their discipline, not forsaking him for the idols of the land. Secondly, it was not only just to test them, but secondly, it was to 
to stay with them. The holiness of God, the, the fear and awe of God was to stay with them. This picture of God's holiness was to remain with them. It was to cultivate over and over a heart that, that properly feared God in awe and the proper reverence. And that fear was to lead to obedience. It wasn't just to shoot up for a time like a small plant that is, that is scorched by the sun and then die away, but it was rather to be an ongoing response to what they had come to know of God in His holiness at Sinai. And then the third reason is that it was to deter them from sinning. They were to live, as it were, quorum Deo, before the face of God at Sinai. What they had come to know of God at Sinai, they were to stand in all of Him, and it was to keep them from sinning. The fact that God had not consumed them in their sin, because God had not condemned them in their guilt, their lives were to be different because they had met with the living God, and He had been merciful to them. For Israel, they had come to a proper fear and reverence of God. How well, then, do they do in responding to the Lord in the commands that he gave to have no other gods before him and to not create an idol? Wow. Well, sadly, we see in very short order that they were spiritually unable to do so. Fast forward to Exodus 32. Moses is absent. Aaron and the people erect the golden calf to worship God by. They assign an image to God to worship. The scene at Sinai would quickly be forgotten, and Israel would go headlong into their idolatry. They were in continual need of cleansing, of ongoing atonement, and perpetual forgiveness. Well, we ask that you join us to the next episode as we, as we look again at the final episode in the series, The Whole Holiness of God. And, and in that episode, we're going to be looking at the hesed in God's holiness, an Old Testament word with mm -hmm. really rich meaning and really complexity to mm -hmm. it that answers the question then, how then can this holy God look upon sinful man? But before we leave, let's discuss a point of application. And I think very plainly, we must be continually teaching our children the truths of God's word. Moses told the Israelites that an awe and a reverence of God was to remain with them. That it wasn't for a time, it was something that was to be ongoing for them. And that this was going to be a, a constant part of their daily lives. You know, Brooke, my, my mind goes to, to Deuteronomy 6, 6-7. through 7. Uh, Would you mind reading that for us? Yeah. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Yeah. Excellent. So I think what Scripture has in mind here is, is this, this ongoing teaching of God's Word. I think that at times a dedicated time of family worship can be helpful. Yeah. But I think that the tendency of parents at times is that their family worship time becomes just that. That's right. A time, right? Yeah. But the scripture paints a different picture here from mm -hmm. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, is that we're to be constantly discussing the truth of God's word with our spouse and our children. And this can definitely include a dedicated time of family worship, but, but certainly goes beyond that time into the very fiber of our family and what we do and what we talk about. Right. As we're driving right down the road, mm -hmm. as we see an accident on the side of the road, on, on the way to church or from youth group, 
as we're watching a game at dinner time, as we're out with friends, we're to be looking for those opportunities to turn the conversation to the truths of God's word and to draw those connections for our, our family and for our kids yeah. and the very mundane things of life as to how God's truth is magnified and personified in those things. Absolutely. One quick resource I will give you um, just in relation to family worship. It's called Family Worship in the Bible, in History and in Your Home. It's by Don Whitney. And I think that will be a great source of encouragement for you. If you've not heard of that, I know it's been a great blessing for a number of families over the time. Um, but in closing, we want you to, to join us for the next episode in our current series, The Whole Holiness of God, as well as check out a couple of the car talks that we have that are coming your way on various topics. Yeah, and we want you to join us next time. Thank you for tuning in this time, and we'll see you next time on the Lit Podcast, Leading the Truth. I'm your co-host, Rick Mars.